Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You guys will appreciate this. On my drop board, I, I can set it so it's also like the touch screen, which means I can play a bunch at once. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm just going to play a ton of drops at once. Ready? Hang on. Close your mouth. Party 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 party. Party. I'm going to be your... one big jumble. Uh, again, it's not that I can't hear uh, because that's false. I can. Um, I just can't distinguish between everything I'm hearing. Got it. Please tell me that was recorded. Yes. It couldn't have ended any that's better. That's the perfect cold open. Out of paper, out of stock. There's friendly faces around the block. Break loose from the chains that are causing you pain. Call Michael Stanley, Jim Dwight Creed, call Andy and Kelly. If your business paper needs or Dundamith, then the people versus paper people Dundamith, then the people versus paper people Dundamith, then the people versus paper people. Hello and welcome to the Michael Scott Podcast Company, a show for fans of The Office by fans of The Office. I'm your host and CIA analyst, Sean Roney. And I'm Edwin James, Big Tuna. And with us, as always, our producer in the warehouse, Mr. Alex Ward. Jim, Jim, Jim. <laughs> Jim, 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 Jim. Oh, hey, do I? I'm going to be your new boss. <laughs> it's my greatest dream come true. Welcome to the Hotel Hell. Check-in time is now. Check-out time is never. Does my room have cable? No. And the sheets are made of fire. Can I change rooms? Sorry, we're all booked up. Hell convention in town. Can I have a late checkout? I'll have to talk to the manager. You're not the manager, even in your own fantasy? I'm the owner. The co-owner. With Satan. Okay. Just so I understand that in your wildest fantasy, you are in hell. And you are co-running a bed and breakfast with the devil. Yeah, but I haven't told you my salary yet. Go. $80,000 a year. That is a slow burn. A slow, (laughs) slow burn. I like it. I like it. Uh, Slow burn seems appropriate uh, for today's topic as we have. This has kind of been a slow burn to get to this. Uh, but uh, today, uh, after our main topic, we'll do, we'll do a little uh, ordinary things segment and we'll do trivia oh, as yeah. usual. But today we are talking about Jim Halpert, large, a.k.a. No. Fat Halpert. 
James, Jimothy, Jim Bag, Jimbo, Jim Halpert, Halbert, Philly Jim, Three Hole Punch Jim, James Trickington, <laughs> Big Tuna, Large Tuna, Tuna, Tuna Turner, Tommy Tuna, Thin Slice Tuna, J Money or T Money for Tuna. <laughs> Carpaccio. You got Pickles, a.k.a. Zuckerberg, a.k.a. Mr. Balance, a.k.a. Tall Guy, and a.k.a. William Butler. <laughs> Nicely done. What about Gumby? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I know there's got to be more. There's got to be more. But uh, that was pretty good. Um, that's you, it. you got that's, the James uh, Triggington. What I got that for was you. the only one. I James Triggington. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Philly Jim, of course. What's what's J his... Money or T Money? I almost missed that one. What's his warehouse uniform name? Isn't he Madge? Yeah, I think that's Patch. Right. Patch. It's a ladies. <laughs> it's a ladies warehouse uniform. Yeah. Uh, um. Uh, Jim Halpert. Uh, so um, you know, we've mentioned this before. I think Jim was supposed to be the very first episode of this podcast, and we did do. Uh, did we do? We did our test. We were very intentional about wanting this to be episode 101 as we led up to episode 100, uh, in part because when we were starting the show, and episode 100 made us think a lot about the show, uh, we had a handful of topics that we wanted to start with, and Jim was one of those topics. And it's it was just funny, I think, to all of us that we got 100 episodes without doing an episode <laughs> on well, Jim. After thinking that maybe that would be one of our early topics and wondering how many episodes we would do, uh, so happy to have him be 101. We specifically did that recording. Uh, f- the show was going to be, is Jim a good guy? Was sort of the, the angle yeah. of how we recorded right. that. Because there was just a lot of time. There still is a lot of talk about Jim, both Jim and Pam. Like, are they good people? Are they bad people? Are they mean? Are they nice? Uh, it depends on who's, whose eyes you're looking through in the office. But that was the first rec- one of the first recordings for sure. Uh, that one was on one of those super hot, days upstairs at my old house when it was just the most miserable recording environment oh my gosh um, i remember that yeah and uh maybe we'll put that one out on patreon one day but uh yeah i'm glad we finally got back to jim jim halbert the voice of reason the consciousness of the obvi- of the office the proxy for the audience the observer the straight man uh jim halbert played by john burke krasinski burke Bo- burke Krasinski, huh. uh, born in Boston, Massachusetts in 1979. He studied English at Brown University, where he was a member of the sketch comedy group Out of Bounds. He also coached middle school <laughs> basketball during that time. Hey. He pursued acting after college and interned as a scriptwriter at Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Oh, they just uh, like their tall guys be- from Boston there. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> if you're going to write on the show, you got to be 6'5 and from Boston. Okay. <laughs> Just see Conan be. Hey, you're tall. You're from Boston. <laughs> okay, great. And that'll do. <laughs> uh, he's gone on to become an action hero, starring in movies and shows like Jack Ryan on Amazon um, and uh, other things. He wrote and directed the film A Quiet Place, which he made with his spouse Emily Blunt. Shh. And uh, you know his co-stars have often commented that John. Um, Although he's the straight man in the office and now an action star is a really great comedic uh, actor that I don't think that we see very often in in his uh, in his work. We see it more and more over the course of the office. They give him a lot more to do comedically. Uh, And a lot of that is awkward situations that he has to try to get his way out of or that he falls that he kind of gets himself into. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, early on in the show, Jim is definitely played as like an audience surrogate. I think that's a good segue. I mean, into like how we wanted to start this, which is Jim's function in the show. Mm-hmm. So much of the office is told through Jim talking to talking heads and, and speaking directly into the camera. He is kind of a de facto narrator. Um, I think Pam has a little bit of this role. Other characters do as well. I think Oscar does it to some extent, but it's really a lot of it is Jim mm-hmm. trying no, to explain what's going on. Right, right. And and no one, you know, it's that looking into the camera. He's looking directly at you at home. And uh, I think um, a lot of characters do it, but he, that's his calling card. I mean, that's his from day one. That's right. really what he's known for. And like you mm-hmm. said, I mean, like he is an observer and even he's involved in a ton of like really funny parts of the office, but he's usually not the punchline guy. I mean, usually it's Dwight or Michael or someone he's talking to. And like when I was looking for drops to, to open the show, I mean, it's hard to find just a one-off gym thing. That's like funny. If you're not watching it in context to whatever happened that scene or him talking to somebody, there's very, very few that I could actually find. And so I played that one. Cause like he does so much for, as a, the straight man setting up other people to succeed on the show. And so many of his moments are nonverbal. Mm-hmm. They're just him making faces into the camera, mm-hmm. kind of communicating to the audience about uh, maybe not what to feel, but uh, relaying that this scene is ridiculous, that what Michael's doing is is just so crazy. Um, and it's something that we yeah. can laugh at together. Yeah. When he's like repulsed by something, we're repulsed by something. When he thinks something is funny, we think it's funny. He's really good at slipping in the casual yikes. If there's a situation to take care of, like he's usually point person on that. Uh, right. You well, know, like like going to, you know, Utica or whatever. Uh, that's, like he's like, I got to yeah. come because someone needs to be not crazy here. So I want to shout out this video that I watched on YouTube called Jim Halpert, The Office's Consciousness by The nice, Take. Dude. Nice. Um, which was really uh, a really well done little essay on Jim Halper. And I learned a couple of vocab words. <laughs> um, Do share the the raisonneur. Rock on the, the reasoner in French mm-hmm. um, or the reasonable one. So this is this is an old trope that uh, and that that Jim is uh, that Jim plays for the office, that he is is he's the reasonable one. He's the one who uh, um, also has a a strong theory of mind. He can, he knows what people are thinking and kind of knows how to manipulate them as well. That's very true. And that's one of the main things people talk about. I think with Jim not being a good guy is he can be very manipulative at times. He can be very dismissive at times and he can be, uh, if you, if you think about it from the other person's point of view, it can be pretty cruel sometimes. Uh, I mean, not all the time. This We spend so much time with him, we're going to see both sides of him. But I think you're right. I think we've talked about Pam is, because Michael leaves early, Pam's kind of the main character of the show. And I think yeah. Pam is sort of the heart of the show. We've talked I think about Jim that is before, like the yeah. eyes and the brain a bit, and Michael's kind of the gut of the show. Um, yeah. And maybe the penis, I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, I just mean like he, like we do see it through his eyes. I think we have a lot of thoughts of like, why isn't anyone doing about this? And at some point in the episode, Jim will go, someone needs to do something about this. Uh, that what is going on? Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. And, and, uh, and yes, uh, he, he's so important. He's crucial, crucial to the show. Obviously. I think too, as, as, uh, as the early seasons of the office, when it's kind of, a 
it's very existentially bored in the office. It's very, it's a very uh, dead kind of place. It's, it's just kind of the doldrums of everyday work life. Jim is, uh, he has like this unique sense of humor and he's able to joke around and find levity in mm-hmm. these moments. But um, well, and plot wise early on too, in season one, I mean, he's the first person we get to sort of, he's the first person who has any kind of desire in the show. Who's just like, I hate this job. I got to get out of here. Like that's sort of where the office starts uh, in a way of just like, Brian, I'm so bored. This is, yeah. I, and he has the talk. He's like, this will be a career. I don't want to do this yeah. as a career. And so he's one of the first people we get that like stakes for. It's interesting well, that yeah. you mentioned desire too. Cause it's like, he doesn't, he doesn't like he, he doesn't know what he wants. He, he, yeah. He, he doesn't want to for a long time. He doesn't go for the things that he wants or doesn't know what he wants. Um, I mean, of course, when we first meet him in season one, um, the two most important things about him are that he's the smartest guy in the office, probably, and that he's Outside clearly in love with the receptionist and won't act on it. Um, so in a way, we learn right away that he is kind of flawed. He he knows what other people want and maybe knows what's best for other people, yet he can't do that for himself. Well, there's that moment in Office Olympics where Pam talks about how Jim is really great and when he's really excited and engaged, he is really good at bringing everyone with him and doing a great job with leading the office. But the problem is that Jim works here, so that rarely ever happens. Um, right. It's it's something like that. And I, I do think that early on in the show, Jim isn't portrayed as having a ton of flaws because his flaws are kind of that he's stuck in this a job or career that he doesn't want to be in and that he's in love with a girl he can't have or that he can't be with. Um, That's kind of how it's portrayed. But later on, you know, he has all these sort of comedic flaws and awkward situations that he gets himself into, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's just a different way that they present Jim, especially after he and Pam get together. Mm -hmm. uh, And then just in those later moments when he's a bit more of a character in the ensemble. It kind of starts with external problems for Jim. Like you said, he's staring at dead ends of like, his romance, his job, and eventually it becomes internal stuff for him. Uh, you know, wanting to start this job, uh, have the family, all these other things that, you know, he wants to be a, a good husband, he wants to be a good father, all this stuff that's, that changes, that was not there at the beginning. And so, I mean, yep. his arc is, I would say, next to next to Pam and Dwight, are the most complete, you know, story arcs in the whole show. Um, I also want to mention, too, that... Uh that he's kind of like uh, this is another thing from this this video that I watched that that he's a little he's addicted to irony he's addicted to or he is usually likes to mean two things when he says something and he kind of hides behind this um mm-hmm. and and so it's not until we get to casino night when he straight up tells Pam how he feels that's maybe one of the first times that we actually hear him um, be honest and vulnerable. Um, but uh, otherwise, he's always kind of saying things with a little. Mm-hmm. It's like he never rant. takes he never takes yeah. stuff that seriously. Right. People. Including and I think it does himself. bother people. Um, Definitely. And, they, and people pick up on it because like a- after booze cruise, he starts thinking about going on a trip and he's spinning the globe. He doesn't know where to like he, do- he can't even decide where to go. Meanwhile, Ryan, who hasn't known Jim that long at all, is like, if I were a betting man, I'd say he has a great weekend in Philadelphia, right? He's mm-hmm. like, Jim's not going on a vacation. Like, he's already got this reputation, even amongst someone who's new to the office. Um, and so 
he doesn't take anyone that seriously, and I don't think anyone takes him that seriously at all. I think, too, uh, you can look at uh, Jim is often hiding behind humor or, or to kind of deflect and not wanting to, uh, I guess, put himself out there. I think I'm thinking of in the job at the end of season three when Karen is really pressing him. She does a really good job of pressing him to be really direct mm-hmm. about what he wants. And Jim waffles so much yeah. um, during that time. And she says, come on. I would move here. If you got the job, I would move here with, uh, I would move here with you. If you got this job or if I got the job, would you move here with me? And she says, come on, I'm not stupid. I was at the beach. There were one too many people in Scranton. And Jim says, mm-hmm. yeah, Kevin. Right. So he, even in that moment, he, he kind of it's turns away example. from answering the question. He also, he also brings up Kevin uh, when they're doing the hottest in the office talk during the fire. Yeah. Who'd you do? Or who would you do? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin's his go-to, his, his white yeah, whale. He's got that teddy yeah. bear thing going on. And afterwards, we could just watch bowling. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention, uh, I'm thinking too, when uh, like, all right, Jim, what is your type in the hot girl episode? He's like, moms, soccer moms, any kind of mom. And Kevin says, stay away from my mom. Too late, Kev. <laughs> what a waste. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. He's always just making jokes. <laughs> because, of course, the, the true thing that he can't say, especially in that scenario, is that he would he would like to be with Pam. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, so in that scenario, he wants to do Pam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who would you do is Pam. Um <laughs> So oh, again, so he's just making jokes of that. It's so, so gross. <laughs> it's really, it, it, yeah. Dude. Another you moment. Like, you sound like Gabe with the Nike Swoosh tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> A- another moment too that's not one of uh, Jim's most um, um, shining moments, but uh, but we'll get into that too. Um, I I uh, I know we want to get into Jim's relationships, um, but yeah. yeah. Maybe we can just, in general, go over his arc. Let's hit the plot points. I, yeah. I tend to think of Jim's arc as kind of having two kind of parallel tracks. One, obviously, is his relationship with Pam or his love life, mm-hmm. um, because that's what takes him, you know, the first two seasons, that's such a driving, it's the heartbeat of the show. Yeah. And then it's what takes him out to Stanford, and then he gets brought back. Um, and then, obviously, they get married and have children. But And then at the end, the it kind of... The other sort of track that I see is his ambition or his professional life or his career and how he seems to have all of this ability but without the same kind of ambition, at least until, you know, at the end of season three, when he's going for that corporate job and it seems like everything is lined up for him to get it and he turns away and goes back to Scranton or in, um, you know, or his time as co-manager in season six or turning down the manager position from Joe. Uh, And then, of course, the athlete storyline in season nine. Uh, and that obviously intersects with his with his relationship with Pam. But those are the two uh, sort of trajectories that I see for Jim. Well said. I think that's I think that perfectly uh, sums it up. One thing uh, that I do think is kind of interesting is that as far as Jim's ambition in his career, his professional life, you mentioned that in the pilot, he talks about how he doesn't want this to be his career. Yet when maybe it's the writing or maybe it's Jim himself, but he never seems to look outside of paper Mm-mm. For another job, he gets mm-hmm. a promotion to, uh, to go to Stanford. Why did I go to Stanford? Uh, it's easy. I got promoted. And, um, you know, how many times have he says it to Michael? How many times have I asked you to put me up for a manager position? 
So all of his ambition is is very much contained in this world hmm. mm-hmm. until season nine when he does yeah. when the athlete thing comes into play mm-hmm. and the world I, of the office grows a little I bit. I think it's worth yeah mentioning that like he says he doesn't want it and then he basically gives up on that and says, All right, fine. Like I might as well do that. And once he's done it, right? I mean, he's not the manager of the company in season uh, of the branch in season nine, but he's already been a co-manager and he's already, um, you know, attempted to uh, rise at the company and, and now he has a stable life and he, he turned down an and, offer to be manager. Yeah. I mean, his life became more important than that at some point, the but balance, I think that, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but I do think that he, in at the beginning of season nine is when he realizes like, I, I did it. I stayed here and I didn't want to. And I think that's when you get athlete and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The balance between I'm happy here in this role as a salesman versus I really want something more goes back and forth all the time with different situations, especially once he and Pam get together. Mm -hmm. It seems kind of inconsistent. Uh, And maybe it's because uh, in season seven, when he turns down Joe, Jim Halpert, the only man ever turned me down. Uh, That leads to Dwight becoming the manager and then Andy slash Robert California coming in as the new power structure. Maybe he's a little disillusioned with trying to go to corporate, but it is it's funny that (laughs) that Jim doesn't try to go for another corporate job in season eight with Sabre, the way we see Dwight do it, or in season nine when David Wallace comes back. David Wallace doesn't have any sort of desire to bring Jim back into the fold. Incorporated yeah. or like in this elevated yeah. position. I was thinking about that today, but yeah, uh, but anyway, um, let's uh, let's move on to Jim and his relationships, unless you guys have any more to say well, about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the the most important one, I think, is where we should start. And that's with Pam. I think uh, when when in season one and two, it's really uncomfortable for us as the audience to see them having fun together and knowing that neither of them really have the the strength to just come out and say it that they're really into each other um and then until of course casino night it's a pretty classic will they won't they and in terms of like tv history this is a pretty i think this one stands out as the most iconic um there are a lot of others from previous shows sam and diane um roy and and Uh, or moonlighting or even in like new girl has a recent example, but like, it's a pretty classic sitcom trope for there to be a will they won't they, but Jim and Pam's I think stands out quite a bit. Uh, and eventually you have to do something with it, um, which is where Jim puts it on the line in and, the end of season two. But and I, think I think some of the best Jim and Pam moments are before they get together. Oh, I agreed. I was totally agreed. I, I was thinking about this watching Brooklyn nine, nine recently, which I know you, but you watched too, Edwin. And, mm-hmm. uh, there's something different too. There, there's something that about the the mockumentary format of the show that makes it so much more intense or so much more real. Um, like Brooklyn Nine Nine, there's a will they won't they for a while, but I don't know why in the sitcom, in the more classic sitcom style, it just doesn't have quite the heart that it Jim and Pam do. And I think that's because you have quiet shots where they're glancing at each other without seeing each other, and you have a little more space and a little more time for it to grow. Um, Plus, like having Roy in there to start is an incredible move because there's the right off the bat. It's like it's unattainable. It's not going to happen. And then he's with Katie and then with Karen. And so there's just so much back and forth. Um, And Jim is like the only person. I mean, Michael certainly has his 
share of relationships, but they're played way more for comedy. <laughs> and I feel like Jim's relationships are played to like, let's actually use the show to investigate relationships a bit. Or like, we kind of get a whole bunch of different types of relationships uh, through Jim. And he's really the only character we get that with. So uh, romantic relationships, that is. Yeah. And so, yeah, those first three seasons are are just gold. Like it's, that's just peak Jim. I think season three Jim is my favorite Jim. That's um, a really great point about the mockumentary format, which is that it gives us two things that we don't get from a traditional sitcom format, which is number one, moments where characters tell us directly what they're feeling yeah. directly into the camera. And then two, moments where characters don't want to tell us what they're feeling, but they show it in like mm-hmm. their smaller hidden moments um, that maybe they aren't planning to have be captured on camera. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that you get them both really rounds out that thing. And, and like you said, the will they won't they is one thing, but it's another when she's engaged and Roy is there and he's around all the time. And yeah. And he's just like a bigger dude. Like he's mm-hmm. just like, I don't know. It's great. Yeah. And, and, and that mockumentary format too. Like it just gives you, it, it actually allows the actors. I feel like a little more room to stretch and a little more room to work with some of the nuances that come with, you know, th- these kinds of relationships. So uh, yeah, so much of it has to do with the show itself. There's something heartbreaking about watching Jim try to move on and try to have other relation, like romantic relationships, knowing that he can't be with the person that he loves. I think that's part of what gives those first three seasons so much kind of heart and soul. And and knowing like the sort of like him be trying to be with Katie, trying to be with Karen, him striking out with Brenda from Booze Cruise. There's <laughs> there's like a sadness inflected into that, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, that that uh, I think just it adds so much to those seasons. And and I think too talking about um, you know this part of the story uh, is is kind of where we get into this question of is Jim a a good person or a bad person? Um, certainly the his confession in Casino Night has been brought up before because he just tells her um, that he's in love with her and um, she. Uh, you know, goes upstairs and then he goes after her and goes in for the kiss without any warning. Um, warning. When she's engaged. Warning. <laughs> I, I just, you beat me to it. So, so, <clears throat> so I think this has been called into question before, right? Because it's, it's, he's, he's not asking for any consent and, you know, maybe, you know, I, I mean, certainly we as the audience, we all know that, you know, Pam's in love with Jim and they need to be together. And that's the whole point of the show. But um, it's not it's not a good way no. to mm-hmm. to uh, to reach that um, understanding with somebody. For, it's just for the audience. Like you said, there's so much context that it's it softens it a lot. But in real life like that just is like not you don't just all. grab like, people following. Well, them. following her upstairs. I, I assume he must have. I don't know. At why a else work he was party. Up yeah like it's i mean it's there's so much of it that's just like when you start to break it down it's like man he did that badly and um the way that he breaks up with katie on on the booze cruise Mm -hmm. it's like he just gets emotional thinking about how he's not going to be with pam and she shouldn't be with roy and he breaks up with her in a very cold way on the boat on the boat so Do you think that'll stuck. ever be with us? Do you think that'll ever be us? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. What is wrong with you? They're Why did you bring me here? Complete. At that I don't know. Moment. Let's break up. <laughs> it's just like it's so it's yeah. so cringe. I mean, it's rough. I mean, okay. So like, 
Amy Adams, you know, enjoyed being a cheerleader and still talks about it. You don't have to be an asshole to her, dude. <laughs> yeah, you it's really don't. Like, you really don't. It's just like you connected with Roy, and so goodbye. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jim. Jim really does have like that, that that uh that ability to inflict a lot of harm on uh on Katie, on Karen, even on Dwight. You know, yeah. There's there's a lot of that that Jim does in the show. I, I feel like it turns away from that a little bit, or it doesn't really. It, it it shows it from Jim's point of point of view, you know, right. more than from yes. the other characters' point of view. One thing I I, I do want to mention for the sake of this is like, obviously we're looking at so much of these. We're going to talk about these different relationships, like Pam and Dwight and Michael, etc. And we are looking at it from Jim's point of view for the purpose of this episode, in part because I think we want to do deeper dives on like Jim and Dwight, or we've done that already. <laughs> yeah, Jim and Pam, Jim and Michael, yeah. that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the Jim and Dwight one we went into, but yes, I do want to say one more thing about about Jim and Pam. Um, in regards to like, is 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 Jim a good guy? And I think it's like if Jim, if Jim really cares about you in his life, like he's is a good guy. And if he doesn't, then he's not a good guy. I right. think yeah. that's how I tend to see it. Because with all that said about Pam at the beginning, and maybe those questionable choices. I mean, the other thing about that scene is like as a viewer right before that happens, you get Pam talking to her mom and clearly her answering her mom's question is, well, do you love Jim? And she's like, yeah, I think I do. Like, that's what I am almost positive. She's answering. Right. And so mm-hmm. then that happens. Right yeah, after. yeah. But later on, I mean, the thing about why they do think Jim is also a good guy is the way he treats Pam and the way he supports her and loves her unconditionally. Um, every relationship is going to have rocky moments, but mm-hmm. I think time and again, Jim sort of proves that he's like, look, I don't care about anyone here. I care about you and I care about our baby. And he does mm-hmm. that on many times, whether he drops the note in the list about like mm-hmm. you and Cece and everything else. Um, when he clips his tie at the wedding. Um, I mean, even like putting on the Popeye outfit, like all these little things that we do see Jim change. And I mean, he's super devoted to Pam. I mean, he really is. And yeah. All that shit we just mentioned about Katie and Karen and the way he treats them, he doesn't do any of that with Pam because he truly, truly loves her. And True. he just is with the right person. I mean, another moment like that is when he's shielding their children, when he's worried that Dwight is going to do something sinister <laughs> in the family portrait <laughs> studio. That's a dad that, that loves, right? There. There's, a, there's a moment, it makes me think, well, I was thinking when you were uh, talking, Alex, is that when uh, Pam is driving with Nellie, I think she's teaching Nellie how to drive. And uh, she's like, are you worried about Jim cheating? I think that's the the, the thing that's brought up. Mm-hmm. And, Jim says, and Pam says, no, he just, he loves me too much. And Nellie says, cocky little thing, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good too. Uh, and, the, and the last scene of that too, I just want to mention is, is, the, is Dwight and Jim in the stairwell. I mean, that scene's just like all time mm-hmm. for every, for as much as Jim does torture Dwight. And he really does. Like he tweet, he treats Dwight terribly. Uh, mm-hmm. all the time. Um, I think when the chips are down and when it matters, he's able to stop doing that to Dwight. And he's able to at least reach across and be like, hey, I I do respect you. It's not all pranks with me. Um, I think, yep. too, on the on the Jim and Pam topic, like, there is something that's, you know, we talk about there being a lot of heart and soul in the first three seasons when they're not together. But there is something kind of magic about when they do get together and then we get to see the two of them navigate situations together. Like, I'm thinking of Fun Run when they mm-hmm. go to the garage sale. And she says, look at what I found. She holds up the lamp. And then Jim says, oh, and now I get to hold it. There's, <laughs> or when they, they come up on Michael together, they're like a team when they're dealing right. with Michael nonsense yeah. or they're checking out a daycare mm-hmm. or you know whatever it is. <laughs> it is. It is fun to like, 
watch them do these things together. And then uh, the way that they go back and forth uh, is also like a unique comedic duo where, uh, mm-hmm. or uh, where, you know, Pam is talking about her fantasy of living in New York. And uh, Jim is like, am I part of this? You know, there, <laughs> there's like that little extra dynamic yeah. where, uh, where when they get together. I, I just, because you mentioned so the daycare. Lost, okay. <laughs> yeah. Because you mentioned the daycare, I have to mention another earworm for me. It's certainly uh, Jim after he opens the door to the bathroom on the guy and Pam's like, well, who was it? And he's like, I don't know. And he's, she's like, is it the guy we're going to meet? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. And he just walks away. I just I always want to do that where it's like you're really uncomfortable and you're just like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Jim, Jim is Jim is put in that position a lot in the show, whether it's uh, when he gives the toast at the wedding uh at the christening with losing the baby um uh there's a lot of times he suddenly has his foot in his mouth and uh they're always they're always played very well when he becomes co-manager and yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) well Um, i mean nominally that was about jim and pam should we move on like jim and dwight yeah so jim and dwight so um what i was gonna say about uh you know jim um in comparison to michael or dwight is that if if Jim has a strong theory of mind, they have a very weak theory of mind. So Dwight either, you know, can't read people's thoughts or doesn't give any any importance to them. Um, so in that I think sense, it's the latter. they're exact opposites. <laughs> I think he I think he knows. I think he thinks he knows what people are thinking. And he's like, yes. that thought is dumb. Mine is yes. smart. <laughs> They're right. opposites. They're colleagues and they're rivals. They're salesmen. They seem to be, I mean, early on in diversity day when Dwight closes that sale uh, that Jim has been preparing for all day, they're going after the same client. Uh, mm-hmm. And like they're, it, they're, they're like brothers, you know, they're like brothers fight. And we, we did that whole episode on Jim and Dwight. So maybe yes. we don't need to belabor this topic too much, yeah, I don't think- but, but the gym, I mean, for the sake of talking about Jim and filling out the Jim character for the sake of this episode, like the Jim and Dwight dynamic is like a very key pillar of the show it's Mm -hmm. office pranks as a way to kind of escape the mundane nature of office life with a guy who takes things way too seriously and will overreact and go tattle on the you know go go to the boss directly michael Mm -hmm. you know yes it's it's, yeah yeah early early on that dynamic is a lot more like acidic i think i mean i think the way the tactics that jim and pam team up against dwight in season one and two can feel a lot more like schoolyard bullying um, when Dwight is just doesn't realize what's going on, and they're still being mean to him, and it doesn't. It's just not great for for a while. But then it it changes, and it, it almost feels like Jim pranks Dwight as a as a means of like letting steam out and being able to stay sane because of how Dwight affects his job too. Where he's just like, I have to do this to stay sane because because Dwight probably makes it pretty difficult sometimes. And there's plenty of examples too when Jim uses the pranks to teach Dwight things or uh and he's done it. It absolutely is too. the toy. <laughs> yeah, but yes. th- see that it's so condescending to be like let me teach you about this where it's like right. well maybe Dwight has a whole different feeling about it. Like he maybe mm-hmm. Dwight takes karate really seriously cuz he values self-defense. I mean cuz Dwight takes everything really seriously. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. especially and, his hobbies. Yeah, and that's why like stop stop making fun of his hobbies, dude. Like come on. Just stop it. And I that's why I love the second life bit where you see Jim. Mm-hmm. Cuz you see that Jim actually is ha- the same yeah. thing that Dwight does, and even more so that he's oh, made yeah. like you know this 
this idealized version of himself, whereas Dwight in Second Life is just him. And so you sort of get <laughs> you sort of get how they see each other. Whereas like I don't take myself seriously, so I'm gonna drag Dwight down, versus Dwight is like, I am the same everywhere I go. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. I think, too, uh, one thing that I think is interesting about the early seasons is is specifically in healthcare in season one, when Dwight is reading off all the fake diseases, everyone in the office is laughing. It's not just Jim and Pam laughing together. Right. And I feel like in the early seasons, you get a lot of Jim being the only source of levity. Uh, but in the later seasons, mm. they play with that and they make it like not everyone uh, mm-hmm. is into Jim's shtick all the time and oh mm-hmm. no the new boss doesn't find Jim adorable <laughs> uh, I don't know man maybe we just listen to some records and everyone yeah. laughs there's yeah a, there's, there's a lot of that that happens later on um, but yeah one thing too that there is an evolution of the pranks uh, that I like because by mainly just in season eight when he he quote-unquote pranks Dwight to get rid of Kathy in his room mm-hmm. and it's such a great it's such a kind of a great full circle that they've come because he's like I need to prank Dwight because I need Dwight. And I, I the yeah. only way that he's going to do this is if I prank him, but I really need him right now. And he gets Kathy out of the room and then we see them eating the bananas foster or whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's a great moment. And it's like, okay, these two are, it just tees up the rest of the show for them where they, they find common ground. I think too, the show does a good job of uh, in conflict resolution at the end of season two, the show kind of checks Jim and his pranking where Jim says to himself, wow, actually, you know, when you read these all one after another, it's not nearly as funny. Mm -hmm. So, but I feel like after that, the pranks become bigger and more thoughtful, cinematic almost. (laughs) They involve Dwight in the future, Dwight in the CIA. (sighs) They involve a world of snowmen for Dwight getting back at Jim. And like the scope just expands so much. Uh, And then yes, in season eight, Jim is using a Dwight prank or he begins that whole thing with uh Lawanda at the alcohol club. And then at the end he uh, uses Dwight to get Kathy out of his room. He starts Mm -hmm. doing pranks where he he's, he just creates a space for Dwight to walk into a trap and he lets, he lets Dwight like he just creates quicksand. He's like the harder Dwight fights this, the worse it's going to get. And I'm thinking of like, the, like the garage sales, a perfect example with the beans where he's like, I'm just going to make Dwight come to me and I know it's going to work. And it's it's so much more fun to watch. Like the writers get better at the pranks too. When he walks in to Jim's room, he says, "Here's what." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like Jim got mixed up with some bad apples. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! It wasn't me. Yeah. Um, I I want to go back to the question of is Jim a good guy and looking at Jim and Dwight. Um, because I know we have our friend Colin, who's a listener of the show who is firmly in the camp that Jim is not a good guy. Yes. And uh, thinks that th- he's very cruel to Dwight and it's not really necessary. He Jim should just go in and do his job and be annoyed by Dwight <laughs> quietly. <laughs> It's a charitable reading of Dwight. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I, say, I think, would you say Dwight does that? Because he doesn't really always do that. Snowballs? No. Little snowballs, Jim? Have you seen Stress Relief? Yeah. 
<laughs> just go uh, in. You know what I think is funny is I think having the show be off the air for so long and having the full show that we can watch in totality totally changes like our reading of Jim and Dwight in this mm-hmm. way. I feel like people are more inclined to give uh, a little more to Dwight and take a little more from Jim. Hmm. After like the the having the distance and loving all the characters the same way, I feel like ha- over time and watching the show, however many times we all have, like you come to love Dwight a bit more, and that yeah. makes you have less tolerance for the pranks that Jim plays on him. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, because Dwight I, comes from a place of just like, I know who I am, and I am who I am, and that's, that's Popeye. It. Yeah, that's Popeye, and uh, and Jim, uh, who also dresses like Popeye once, he's not that. To, to Dwight he's he's like he's just kind of poking Dwight wherever he can and we're led to believe that like oh Dwight makes his work life hell and sometimes he does but um there's part of me that does agree with with Colin and that like dude you don't need to be doing this all the time to Dwight and like over years that would cause I feel like eventually would have some psychic harm on Dwight of just like always being pranked you wouldn't like, trust I, anybody I don't know well, what's real and what... <laughs> you know what it's funny how the show plays with that where like when they go to Florida, Jim talks about he's like super Dwight. He's ready. He's been bitten by a radioactive Dwight. And there is an element of Dwight that is indestructible a little bit as far as the pranking goes. Like that's that's the beauty of it. And when Jim makes that appeal in the stairwell, Dwight comes back and he is himself again. And then I feel like when it does hit a breaking point, like when, when Dwight sort of crumbles, it's when it's because of Angela or it's because he thinks he can't have children and he has or the, he doesn't get the manager yeah. job or something. You win, Jim. We've been fighting for years, and you win. You're the alpha. Buy, buy your wife a pie, buy the world a pie. You filled my building with dangerous radiation as a prank? Congratulations. <laughs> That's the best prank you've ever played. <laughs> we could talk about this all day, but if we're going to try to get to some of these other relationships, you want to move yeah. on to Jim and Michael? Yeah, let's move on with to Michael Jim and Michael. Michael just like with bosses in general, starting with Michael. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, Michael, and then we can do the corporate figures together. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, uh, Jim, of course, um, when we meet him in season one, he knows that Michael is an idiot and is obnoxious, but he doesn't really. I mean, again, it's like, you know, his enemy is Dwight. Um, and the enemy of my enemy is my friend, but. <laughs> um, and, uh, well, I mean, I guess I'll just jump right to the end when we, we see Jim in season seven telling. Uh, Michael, what a great boss he turned out to be. Hmm. Um, so, I guess you know, yeah. What, what what do you guys have to say about Jim and Michael? Well, okay, okay. So, <laughs> so the show literally begins with Jim and Michael talking about the library and Michael making the call on Jim's behalf. Thank you, sir. You are a gentleman and a scholar. Mm-hmm. She had a very deep voice. Uh, <laughs> they're they're like Michael and Jim are such. Uh, they're they're not opposites and rivals in the way that. Dwight and and Jim are but it is there is like um they are pitted against each other quite a bit where Michael is also a talented salesman but he's in control and mm-hmm. Jim is not Jim is an employee he's a lower level person and he even though he's the voice of reason he's speaking to power which does not have any sort of reason whatsoever and he's often trying to rein Michael in and I love the way that the show has Michael look up to Jim uh and want yeah, to be that's Jim's true. best friend uh, and the way they play with that, and then the way they bring in Jim is the is the co manager, and they make them direct rivals. Uh, it's just it's a really it's a fun dynamic, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I love when imp- early on when when Ryan's in there too, because Michael 
feels like he can control Ryan and make Ryan his friend. Mm-hmm. And I think he's doing that because he thinks the ship has flown. The, the ship, ship has is, sailed. The ship is yeah. the ship has <laughs> sailed on like him and Jim actually being friends. Because the couple moments for the rest of the show when like Jim does something very friendly, say invite him to happy hour or uh, to go out to lunch. Michael, <laughs> there's a way that Michael's sort of just yeah. floored by like, like really? Yeah, like I'll cancel everything. Like, oh <laughs> yeah, best lunch ever. <laughs> Oscar gets up. You guys going to lunch? Yeah. Like he's almost. He's he's just. He can't believe it. Whenever Jim does something friendly with him, and it's, they walk it, in. Was, that would be sublime. In, they walk in after the lunch. Oh, I had so much egg on my yeah. face. Good times. Good friends. Good food. Thank you, Michael. You, you called that out, Sean. That was good. It was like that. That would be sublime. That would be. Um, sublime. Or the the first the first reaction from Michael is that he thinks he isn't uh, being invited. It sucks to be you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That would be sublime. I, it's kind of a very, it's messed up, but it's also kind of a cute relationship that Michael yeah. is like one of his subordinates. He also thinks so much highly of him, uh, so high of him that like he's out of his league in a way. Uh, but really, it's just like he's your worker, not your friend, dude. That's all. Well, it is. and I, well, and you think too, like, why didn't you ever put uh, me up for a branch manager job? I didn't want to lose you. I didn't want to lose Pam. Now I don't want to lose the baby. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I think a, I think a really important episode for these two is uh, email surveillance, which is mm. when Jim throws his party and doesn't invite the boss. And uh, Michael finds out about this and is really hurt by it. And Jim is really torn. I mean, he could just be like, I don't care. Like, so I'm sorry, Michael. But yeah, you're not invited. I can have a party without you if I want to. But he does feel bad. Um, and then, of course, Michael comes on his own um, without being invited. And when that happens, um, Michael is already torpedoing the party and he's trying to do a duet karaoke. And Jim is the one who steps in and does the duet with him. Yeah, so that's true. he's the host. Yeah, <laughs> that's a host I, I mean, he, and maybe you could you could say that maybe that's a way that Jim is trying to just diffuse the situation just to like de-escalate a little bit and just give Michael what he wants. So he's, you know, calms down. But I think that it's Jim also, you know, finding in himself being like, all right, I feel bad. And, you know, maybe the right thing to do here is to, you know, be nice to this guy who is, uh, you know, (laughs) who we know Michael all his life has been left out. And um, (laughs) let's be nice to this guy who is desperate. I mean, maybe yes. this, maybe with the invitation, like that seems like a perfect encapsulation of the of the way that Jim kind of inflicts harm without trying to. His intentions are good. He's he doesn't want to invite Michael because he thinks that people won't have as much fun. But he ends True. up really hurting mm-hmm. Michael's feelings more so right. than I think he makes anyone at the party feel better. Yeah, and, he does yeah. this even when he doesn't mean to. He does this with yeah. Daryl later yeah. on about getting him to athlete, where it's just like he forgot to mention. He's like, oh, mm-hmm. I talked to the guys. Like, we want to have you in for an interview. And mm-hmm. he immediately diffuses this thing that's been simmering all episode mm-hmm. that accumulates in Daryl getting really drunk. Not to mention later, Dar- Jim deletes all of Daryl's Tavis smileys off the DVR. Let's not forget that. <laughs> that's uh, true. I oh, think- yeah. They have the whole coffee cup thing. Yeah. It's my go-to thermos. Yeah. Uh, as far as Jim and Michael, there are two episodes that really stand out to me. One is uh, Survivor Man, when Jim tries to combine all of the birthdays together. And Phyllis even calls... Uh, 
Jim Michael on accident and Jim gets very Michael-y and he's sitting in Michael's office for some mm-hmm. reason. <laughs> Toby's great, but he's a little bit left. Well, you blah, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's and a cake, Toby. They yeah, they have that <laughs> moment at the end where they're sitting together and it's like a two shot of the of both of them. And Jim is talking about combining the birthdays and Michael says, yeah, I tried that once. Ten years, you'll figure it out. I don't know if I'm going to be here in ten years. That's what I said. That's what she said. <laughs> um, and then similarly, I guess in uh, in Benihana Christmas, Michael Jim is the one who coaches Michael up from his rebound with uh, with mm-hmm. the waitress. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the last like episode that I'm thinking of where they they really butt heads in this way is uh, is the co-manager. Um, I think the episode is the promotion where they have to deal with cost of living raises. Mm. And they they have these they have this big conflict about what they do. All right, Skippy, you tell him. You know, <laughs> Jim is making his pros and cons list, and Michael is is uh, belittling him the entire time. When I look at you, I don't see you. I just see how big the pores on your nose are. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, but Michael's good for just a good insult out of nowhere sometimes. Yeah. Just really <laughs> but, harsh. Yeah, there uh, it it is a uh, it is a great dynamic within the show. Michael and Jim. Yes. Uh, what about the rest of corporate? Because Jim is out of all the other ensemble members, he's certainly the one who is uh, who dances with corporate from time to time. Uh, whether um, it's Jan, Ryan, Charles, yeah, or David Wallace, Joe Bennett, even. Um, Joe Bennett. I, you know, I, I, we did just have our Charles Minor episode, so you can go back and listen to that if you haven't yet. But um, Charles Minor is like the one person in the show who kind of sees right through Jim doesn't uh doesn't really under like here's here's something jim is a young tall intelligent straight white man right so you could look at all these people just being like jim's great jim's great we should promote jim like we should trust jim like it it could be privilege Right. Because Jim doesn't actually care about his job. I I mean, I know he's a good salesman, but you could point to him just being, you know, no one else in the office is like him except for Ryan. And everyone seems to love Ryan until he, you know, torpedoes the company. Um, (laughs) Fraud was committed. Yeah. Right. So you could say that Charles is right to come in and be like, no, like, I don't like clearly you don't care. You're wearing a tuxedo. Um, and uh, <laughs> like, so I think that's, I just think it's really great that they, they brought Charles in to kind of see right through Jim. And uh, I, I do enjoy that. I do enjoy watching Jim sweat a little bit with someone, yeah, that, someone yeah. there. Mm-hmm. He, he sees through Jim, but he almost sees through Jim a little too much. It, it, that is true. By the time it, we get to yeah. company picnic, we're like, okay, what well, Charles just hates Jim. And it's like the power of the world's worst first impression. Yes. Is kind of how uh, is kind of how I, I feel like you're, you're reading that. And Jim just manages to do everything wrong in front of Charles. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that the question of privilege is really interesting. I think uh, when you look at Dwight as well, nobody's racing to promote Dwight. You know? <laughs> uh, yes. Well, his nose is too small. That's fair. His yeah. Face, I mean, so. what, did you did you sneeze it off? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think it's interesting to watch the way that different corporate figures either they really maybe they see Jim as a well, Charles seems to see through Jim. Ryan sees Jim as a threat. 
Jan and David see Jim as someone on the rise. Uh, mm-hmm. So they have different readings of Jim, I think. That's for sure. true. Yeah. And then Joe, same thing. Uh, Joe is kind of in the middle where she comes in and is uh, not excited about two people doing one man's job. We're going to have to do something yep. about that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, she does offer Jim the the manager position that he turns down. But right. Yeah. I, you know what I think is, is funny, too? There there seems to be no relationship between Jim and Robert California in that same way that we have with Jim sure. and all the other corporate figures. Only a tiny bit, right? We do get Robert California texting Jim to bring his golf clubs oh, to Florida. That's a really good point. Yeah. But but you're right. We we don't see very much of that. Even though Jim is one of the people who opens the door for Robert to become CEO. Mm-hmm. He's on the search committee that chooses Robert. Mm-hmm. We also do get that steamroll confidence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, steamroller, steamrolly conversation yeah. between them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I feel like the most some of the more significant Jim and Robert son moments of a bitch. <laughs> are uh, some the of the more significant is that it is up to the steamroller. Are the squash game <laughs> And the thing about oh, yeah, raises, squ- yeah, yes. I'm just trying to moment. avoid drops. Yeah, we do get that small moment in the pool party too between them. I don't know, Jim. Just come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That he is kind of Jim. You'll uh, like this. annoyed by Jim at that part. I, I do. I do think there's something interesting about Jim and David Wallace. Where, where uh, I think David Wallace just sees Jim as a, as a buddy. What's up with yeah. uh, Jan and Michael? I don't know where <laughs> yeah, to the shoot- begin. I mean, a shooting <laughs> yes. hoop scene, like the yeah. classic movie trope, where it's like guys talking to have a relationship while they're shooting hoops or doing mm-hmm. something like that, and that's exactly what they do. Mm-hmm. Where to begin? <laughs> shoot the but yeah, I mean, I, the only other thing that I had is, or the only other sort of type of relationship that I w- thought maybe we could talk about is Jim and the ensemble. So Jim and Meredith, yeah. Oscar, Phyllis, Kevin, how does his relationship with that go? And I feel like so much of that ends up with Jim being a de facto leader and mm-hmm. yes. talking to the group, talking to the bullpen all together. And I'm thinking specifically of in the search committee when he says, I don't know, this conversation really got away from me. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, I think to try and I'll try and summarize this off the top of my head. I think to Creed, He's tall. To Meredith, he's tall sexy. Mm-hmm. To Ryan, he's an obstacle. To Stanley, he's a coworker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to Phyllis, he's a coworker. Mm-hmm. Uh, really to- shucking your peas, <laughs> grinding your beans. <laughs> to Angela, he's a heathen. Mm-hmm. Uh, to Daryl, he's a buddy. Yeah. To, to Oscar. Uh, to Oscar, he's, he's an acquaintance. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kevin, he's a, he's col- a buddy. He's a colleague to Kevin. To Kevin, he's a he's a fantasy football league member. To Kelly, and- he's a he's a good friend, a best friend. <laughs> and to Gabe, he's a fellow tall person. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I yeah, don't know. I, there's great. probably a better versions, but I was trying to do it in one word for each. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I just yeah, it's funny how Jim is so often the mouthpiece, talking to everyone all at once and giving a lot of announcements mm-hmm. and sharing updates and all these kinds of things with everyone together. We just did that episode on office Olympics and that's the episode where Jim more than any other is the ringleader for when, when the cats are away, the mice will play and Jim's the big mouse, uh, that episode who organizes the, the office Olympics. And, you know, I think he, he can do that from time to time. He can, he can rally the troops, so to speak. Um, as Mm -hmm. long as he's not in the spotlight for too long, he's okay. 
it's funny that Jim is the one who coaxes everyone out of their shell, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then later on in the show, he has to deal with all these people who are totally out of their shells. Yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good way to put it. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, like, I, and like, you know, I think about season nine when Andy becomes manager and how Jim all of a sudden, and again, you know, we don't, we've always said that we don't love season nine and it's kind of an ep those are those episodes as we were saying before early seasons people don't say what's actually on their mind in season nine everyone's saying what's on their mind but you know he's there to help andy feel better about being manager and build him up you know i just think about them being outside of the tattoo parlor and uh um you know that's a long way to come for for jim i think he certainly i mean uh, after everything he and andy have been through especially um uh you know he didn't used to be that way you're right that they use jim uh, in in the beginning of season eight the episode i think is lotto mm -hmm. where you know so much of season eight is them psyching up andy telling him that he can do it as manager or dwight yeah. saying you wanted the job the job is yours now do the job mm -hmm. and while he's making brownies. Andy but for manager? End, yeah. <laughs> oh, you're right. I'm of, thinking of beginning of season eight. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. No, you're all good. But then um, in Lotto, after Andy is the one who's coaching up Daryl, you know, uh, the job is mine. You know, <laughs> Joe saw something in you, but you stopped pushing. And then at the end of that episode, as they round the corner, who are the people that are not doing who doing who've just put grease all over the floor and ruined all the boxes and drove the forklift to the wall? It's Jim and Dwight, the two guys who, in theory, could be the other managerial candidates. So they use yes. they use them well uh, to prop up Annie and Daryl. I love that. That's great. <laughs> but Mud Brooks, um, you hear that? But Mud Brooks. <laughs> so uh, unless there's anything else you wanted to say about Jim and the ensemble. No, let's do some wrap up, wrap let's, up questions about Jim. Has your opinion of Jim changed over time as you rewatch The Office over and over again and talk about it on a podcast? No. <laughs> and what is so? What is that? I, I thought, that you like well, I him? I thought and about you, this, and I was like, "Well, yeah. I, I have to come up with an answer of how it has." And then I thought, "You know what? I don't think it really has changed." Hmm. And. I can't, I don't, uh, I mean, part of it's what? as I age and like, as my own life responsibilities get larger and more aligned with Jim's, like I feel much more like I'm aging with Jim as I get older. And he does that throughout the series. That helps as opposed to like Ryan, which I actually realized I've, I've talked about how I like Ryan less and less. And I think it's because as I get older and I'm, I'm appreciating BJ Novak's like little nuances he does with the character, he's actually mm -hmm. like getting better and better at it which makes mm -hmm. me hate Ryan, the character, more and more. <laughs> so it's like, it's a weird, like, I like BJ Novak more and I hate Ryan more and more. But I've, that's not happening with Jim. I feel like I I feel like I just sort of, I don't know. He's like an old baseball glove. It just gets better. That's funny. You know, you you can cut this if this is a weird thing to say. I love that you said, <laughs> as time goes on and I get older, my perspective changes. My opinion of Jim has remained the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's as Jim is very unchanging in a lot of ways. He's an anchor. I, I think my opinion of Jim has definitely changed. I think early on in the early watchings of the show, especially when it was on the air, I definitely viewed Jim as kind of like the hero of the show a little bit. Mm -hmm. As uh, you know, he's he's the one making all the jokes and playing all the pranks. But I think over time, you know, you you get like a more rounded 
viewing of the character where like, yeah, he does like he's really terrible to Katie and mm -hmm. Karen. And, you know, maybe he does prank Dwight too much and stuff like that. So I think it's rounded that out a little bit where you can just kind of see Jim a little bit more completely, I would say. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with Edwin. I think my opinion has changed of him just because I did look like, you know, maybe look up to him or, you know, kind of see myself in him so much when I used to watch the show in high school and college. And now maybe I'm just a little bit, you know, now it's like, well, he's flawed. And but I, I'd almost say like I've it's changed and then it's changed again. Like, I think I did kind of vibe with that BuzzFeed article that was like, you know, Jim's kind of a douchebag. And but I think I'm coming around again, just like I am with Pam, where it's like, well, they're young. Look, dude, there by was the end a time of the show, they get all, it figured out. There was a time when we all vibed with BuzzFeed articles. But so so, yeah, I, I think my my opinion of him has changed. But I do certainly think of like some other characters like, um, you know, we all used to love the movie High Fidelity with John Cusack. <laughs> That's a character that like when I was in high school, I thought was so cool. And over time, I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, he's the worst. <laughs> what an awful person. So I, I I know that Jim is not that. You know, yeah, I, no. I know like he's a he's a much more um, maybe he's a much more like thoughtfully designed character than than uh, whatever his name is from High Fidelity. But I I uh, I, I do think my opinion of his him has changed um, or evolved over time. I'll say this. I feel like in terms of a letter grade, I've always thought of Jim as a B. Yeah. Sometimes he's a B plus. Sometimes he's a B minus, but he's he's always a B. And that's just sort of has never changed with me. Yeah. OK, that's good. Just in like general. That. Would you want to work with Jim? Would you want Jim in your office on your team? What's the gig? Yeah. We doing a heist? I mean, I, I would. We in an I was... office? Yeah, you're in an office. They asked, yeah, okay. they asked me to play my originals. They said, have you heard my originals? They're terrible. <laughs> and, they said, uh, perfect. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> We're assuming a office, a nine to five office job. Yes. Okay. What's going on? How do I get this long triangle? I mean, I guess I mean, I, I guess I can start like because if he was working on a production team like for a movie, I would hate him. Wait, do you consider... <laughs> Do you consider, but we're saying as a nine to five office job, do you consider that as? That's more like a seven to seven job, <laughs> but, um, okay. but you're talking about in the context of your line of, I'm just talking about okay. it in the context of my line of work, because what, what I know is important in having a good team is that everyone cares about the movie. Everyone cares about the final product. We, we bitch all day long about everything. And talk about how everyone's an idiot and blah, blah, blah. But deep down, <laughs> deep down, we are, <laughs> you know, we are happy to be there and are that doing our that best to make sound, a good movie. That makes you sound like Dwight. I think everyone's an idiot. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I think, I mean, come on. You don't I'm deserve literal. this branch. High mistakes in less than a day. <laughs> Like you just uh, don't want someone that's too bitter or too cynical or just like over it. And Jim's yeah. like Jim gets close to that of just being over it, but he does like when Pam comes into his life and he has they're dating and get married and a baby, like he has a lot to care about and he I think he would be a lot more bearable 
in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. It totally depends on the job. Because if Jim 100%. cares, then 100%. he's going to be a great coworker and a great teammate. An athlete, they all seem to love him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you're doing like a, a an office job that he doesn't care about, you might he might not be the greatest person to work with. Although it does seem like a lot of the characters in the office do kind of like working with him, as long as they're not, you know, the butt of his pranks. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, totally depends on the job. Yeah, but I think I, there's also other people. It's like I I can think of other characters from stuff where it's like, well, no matter what the job is, I think I'd be fine working with them. Like there's more of a versus Jim is like he if he doesn't care, he'd be miserable to be around. Yeah, if I was if I was working on something that if I wasn't you know working on production teams for movies and stuff like that, it, and was doing something that I didn't care about, I would like working with Jim because Correct. yes, it'd be like ah, Jim you know, is. We don't we don't belong here. There's there's a fine line of like people who are like, I don't care about this, but I respect that you care about this. Mm-hmm. And then there's like, I don't care about this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna distract you because I don't care that you care. And that's like yeah. Dwight cares, and Jim doesn't care that Dwight cares, and that's what makes it not okay a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, any any final thoughts on uh, on Jim Halpert? I think you know one of the last things I think we've covered quite a bit, uh, but. You know, I, I don't know if you guys have been watching WandaVision at all, but they've been kind of um, revisiting classic TV tropes as, as the uh, season has gone on. And, you know, I don't think this is a spoiler, but one of the things is is the breaking the fourth wall and looking and talking directly to the camera at one point. Mm. And watching that, I was thinking of how much of that comes from The Office. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, Parks and Modern Family, you know, are big parts of that as well. But like just thinking about Jim, it's like how much of that whole thing that you could in that has become a TV trope now. Like mm. how much of that comes from like Jim and Michael kind of together. And then, you know, obviously Dwight and, and Pam, the other characters who have talking heads, but how much of the talking head has become a TV trope and how much of that is John Krasinski, you know, I've been thinking about that yeah. a lot. Mm. Yeah. Legacy. Mm. Yeah. There he is. He's he, it's definitely a, a legacy character it, in the realm of TV shows. He is he's at a very high level uh, along with Pam and Michael and Dwight. It's just you know, all time characters. I'm also thinking of uh, I thought of this while we were talking, but uh, we were talking about Jim faces. I remember mm. uh, Aziz and sorry when he was talking about Tom Haverford. Instead, of, he he does that big smile into the camera in Parks and Rec. The, yeah. You know? Yeah. And he said <laughs> yeah. he came up with that because he knew he couldn't do what John Krasinski was doing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think one of the best and most self-aware moments in the whole show is Karen Filippelli being like, he's always looking into the camera like this. What is that? <laughs> it's so funny. That's like such a halt. That's such like, that's how I would divide those two shows is the office is like, and yeah. Parks and Rec is like. <laughs> it's unfortunate they can't see your face. But I, I think they have a Jim face and a Tom Haverford Jim's face. expression in Tom Haverford. <laughs> that's right. the well, general that, yeah. tone of both shows, I <laughs> yeah. feel like. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our Jim episode. I know that in the future we'll do more on Jim. We've already done Jim and Dwight. Um, and uh, I'm we'll sure do, that we'll... We'll do another Jim and... We'll do a Jim and Pam episode. We'll do a Jim and Michael episode. Yeah. Uh, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I would we'll do Jim. <laughs> who would you do? Who would you do? Jim, season three, uh, Jim. I've said hottest, hottest Jim there is. Season three, early season three. All right, it's time for some ordinary things. That is our building, and we sell paper. 
All right, now we're moving on to our second installment of Ordinary Things and uh, some questions uh, taken from uh, episodes of The Office about <laughs> our lives and ordinary things. So this one comes from The Job at the end of season three, uh, where Michael shows up a full day early for his interview for the corporate job. <laughs> have you ever had a time where you were way too early for something? So I don't have, I didn't, I actually, this just made me think of a time when someone else was early for something, not me, but in college, <clears throat> I knew this guy who like lived like two floors below me in the dorms and I can't remember what his name is. It might have been like Norman or something like that. <laughs> it wasn't and Norman. But it yeah, wasn't Norman, but <laughs> it was something like that. Yeah, it was something more like something believable, like Lancelot. And like <laughs> Gerald. this dude was just a really like one of those really like smiley stoner dudes, like always just ripped. <laughs> And he went to, he went to, I'm sorry, but he went to, he went, but it's important because he went to Amsterdam on a trip. And uh, one day I just get a call like during the summertime and it's him. And he's like, hey, uh, you live in Portland, right? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. He's like, I just flew back from Amsterdam uh, and I forgot about the time change. And I, I don't have a ride back down to California until tomorrow. Can I come stay at your house? And I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, like, and like my parents were just so confused by him. <laughs> and he's like, he, like, they're like, so this is your good friend? And I was like, I don't really know him that well. But <laughs> like, I guess I'm the only person in Portland he knows. And, and like my mom was like, in the morning, my mom was like making breakfast, and he like came downstairs in a in a towel and was like, uh, "I don't have any clothes. <laughs> like, I don't have any clean clothes. Like, can it, you help me with laundry and stuff." Anyways, I just I it, that's immediately where my mind went when I thought about being a day early for something. It, it's just so outrageous to me that you don't get the time difference right, and and I don't want to harp on him. Like he's such a nice dude. I, I, I it was really fun and really funny, but I've always uh, thought so about you were that. you were absorbed by someone else being too early. Yes, yes. got it. Okay, yeah. yes, I got and a quick was, one. Uh, yeah, no, go I had uh, about I want to say like five years ago now. I. I just like just like John Krasinski, I coached a middle school basketball team, and one of the second or third weekends of games, uh, we had a little schedule uh, that had the whole the whole season's uh, games on it and everything. And this one said we were playing at this team. It was a small school up in North Portland, and I, I read the schedule. And I said, "Oh, we're playing at that school," um, and so we I. I said I texted or emailed all the parents. Hey, our game is at you know ten thirty a.m. at this school in North Portland, and everyone shows up and we're there and we're walking around and the school is like locked. There's no one there, and I'm just like, uh, I don't know. This is the gym, I think. And uh, I, they were like, "Can you double double check the schedule?" And I was like, "I this is where it is. I know it is." I reach I recheck the schedule. I saw that oh there was a little thing and it said away games for this particular school will be held at this basketball facility in Southwest Portland. Oh. Also that game had been moved. Uh, apparently there was an email about this that went to my spam. That game had been moved from like 1030 to 130. And so <laughs> I'm sitting there. This is my first year I've ever coached. None of these parents know me and I have to come out oh. and be like, so 
The game is in three hours at the school in Southwest. And it was this collective feeling of like a dozen families (laughs) just realized I'd ruin their entire Saturday. And it was just like, I'm, I was so mortified because a couple dads just immediately just turned around and left in a huff and they were so pissed at me. And all these moms were just like, you didn't see that. And it was just like, Oh, sorry. And I just ruined, I ruined, I ruined a weekend for a dozen families in one fell swoop. So that's too early. Impulsivity and attention to detail. So that's lunch, eh? McPherson's rendezvous friendlies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. I, I had I had a christening. That's that's what happened to me. Yeah. I have one. Uh, mine also comes from college days, but there was a time. I, I don't remember the exact timing of it, but I was going to turn in my paper like a day late, and it was like I missed the. Or, I remember like I missed turning it in in class, and I was going to turn it in during office hours. So I like went up. Uh, to my professor's office and I opened the door and he, and I was like, here, I'm turning in my paper. And he looked at me and he said, you know, he was like, like yesterday in class, I said that I was extending the deadline. So what you were doing is you were in fact turning in your paper early. And I looked right at him and I said, yes, that is what I'm doing. I'm turning in my paper early. And it was very much <laughs> like Toby and uh, Toby and Dwight exchanging the signature for the Girl Scout cookies. Uh, it was just, yes, I am turning in my paper early. Thank you, sir. And then I turned and left. Yeah. Wow. Was, was he kind of trying to say, like, so were you there I think yesterday? we both knew. I think we both knew what the deal was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. I love it. Um, uh, that was, uh, great. All right. Well, we're running a little long, so we'll just keep moving along here. So uh, it's time for some trivia. By the way, we, we do ask people for trivia, but if you have ordinary question, if you can think of an ordinary question, ordinary thing question based off an office episode, let us know. Yeah. Hit us mm-hmm. up. It's time for some trivia. Let's just do our thing, collect our hardware and get the hell home. Okay, so this uh, week's trivia was sent to us by Aaron uh, using the website, which you can do. Hey, Um, fun. uh, Question one, season five, episode four. While doing her laundry in New York, what item does Pam find in her clothes while washing? Lipstick. Lipstick, correct. What hotel does Charles Minor stay at while in Scranton? This is Grant Marriott? Best Western? Uh, Radisson. What is it? Yeah, it's a Radisson. Radisson. That's correct. That's ah, correct. He, he mentions it when um, he's talking to David Wallace. The Radish Inn. How are the you ra- doing this? The Radish Inn. <laughs> Embassy Beats. <laughs> How are you doing this? Uh, in the episode Broke, when Pam, Michael, and Ryan are sitting together telling their sad stories, something is written on the printer that Pam is leaning against. Oh, I just watched this episode before this. Do you know what it is? I don't remember. So it's something at some time. I don't know. It it just is. It just says trash. The oh. <laughs> someone wrote okay. trash on the printer. Um, what is Michael's favorite ice cream? I expect you to get this one. Mid chocolate, chocolate chip. chip. Yep. During threat level midnight, when dancing the scarn, who is wearing a pink boa? Uh, Phyllis. Uh. No, Todd Packer. No, nope. Karen. It is no. It's actually not Karen, which is what I thought because she's the head of the bachelor party. Is it, is it Jan? It is. It Angela. is Angela. It's Angela. 
Angela is wearing a pink Jan, boa. Jan is Jasmine Winsong. I know. Yes. That's one of my She's favorite talking heads in the show is when they catch up with Jan and be like, oh, he finished it. Like, and then you get that scene. It's just, it's just so funny. Uh, what is Michael going to call his HBO comedy special? Here I go again. Here I go again. Dot, dot, dot. That's right. In season seven, episode 21, Michael takes D'Angelo to deliver Dundee nominations. Whose houses do they visit and in what order? Oh, okay. So Meredith is last. Yes. Um, they egg Toby's house. I think yes. that's before Meredith's. This is an that's employee correct. of ours? Yeah, you got the last two correct. Jim and Pam. Jim and Pam and then Toby and then Meredith. Yeah, yes, but you missed one, which is Stanley. Right after Jim <laughs> oh, and Pam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, last three questions here. Are How you, many minutes are, did... are you satisfied with your satellite this is what he calls Stanley <laughs> yeah, from the telemarketer <laughs> how many minutes did Michael work in the office according to Andy who said they sat down and did the math oh nine million nine hundred eighty six thousand yes correct yes in season two episode I can't 19. believe I've never thought about that number but it just was like oh I because it's in song format it just was there yeah That's weird right there uh, in season two, episode 19, Michael's time of birth is mentioned by Dwight. What time was given? What time was Michael born? Oh, like three something in the afternoon? It's, du- it's during the work day. It's not three in the afternoon. 11.33. I don't know. Okay. It's 11.23 it? a.m., which oh, is very wow. close. I'll give wow. that to Ed. Ten minutes off. Wow. Job, <laughs> okay. This is it. Last question. Okay. When Michael goes to an Alicia Keys concert, he says, you never get to meet girls with blank. Lip ring? Lip ring. Oh, lip ring. I was going to say, yeah, lip ring, yeah. (laughs) That is correct. Thank you very much, Aaron. Aaron actually sent a very long trivia. Thank you so much for all those questions. I'm going to save those for another time. You can send us your own trivia by emailing us at mspodcastcompany at gmail.com. Or you can do like Aaron did. Go to our website, michaelscottpod.com, where you can send us messages. You can call us, 503-693-4914. Uh, we're about to do for another and, uh, voicemail episode. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, actually, that's true. We should do one soon. So get those voicemails in. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram, Michael Scott Podcast Company. And we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash Michael Scott. You can become a Scott's Tot for $5 a month. You get a bonus episode every month. You also get some bonus content that we've been we've been putting out our original test episodes that we would never air publicly. But if you are in the club, you get uh, you get those as well. We also um, have our anti episode draft is on there. If you like yeah, the draft yeah. episodes. I think I think we're due for another one of those soon. So uh, come on in, join us. If you've listened to all the episodes and you need more, more content, check us out on there. Um, we every month we do a donation at Thurgood Marshall College Fund as well, uh, keeping uh, keeping Michael Scott's uh, dream alive. Um, so uh, special thanks to all our Patreon supporters and to Ryan Lloyd who helps us with our social media and designs all our artwork. This episode was recorded over video chat in Portland, Oregon. Thank you so much for listening. We say it every week, uh, but we love and appreciate every single one of you. Thank you for hanging out with us, uh, for spending a little time with us uh, as we talk through uh, Big Tuna. 
Uh, so take care, <laughs> stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Pippity poppy, give me the sub. Yes, yes, sir. Tender love is blind. It requires a dedication. All this love we feel needs no conversation. Divide it together. Uh-huh. Making love with each other. Uh-huh. We're making love. Islands in the stream. That is what we are. No one in between. How can we be wrong? Sail away with me. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.